Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode eight of Quick Cuts, a plastic surgery podcast. This episode is actually the second part in a two-part series on blepharoplasty, so check out episode seven for upper lid blepharoplasty. But in this episode, we'll focus instead on the lower lid, so let's get started. And we'll start with a review of lower eyelid anatomy. The lower eyelid, like the upper eyelid, is commonly described as a bilamellar structure, consisting of anterior and posterior lamellae, separated by the orbital septum, which sometimes may be referred to as the middle lamella. The structures found within each lamella vary somewhat depending on which segment of the lid you're examining. The pretarsal segment of the lid exists from the lash line to the inferior border of the tarsal plate. From superficial to deep, the layers of the pretarsal lid are the skin and orbicularis oculi muscle, which together make up the anterior lamella, followed by the tarsal plate and conjunctiva, which constitute the posterior lamella. The remaining segment of eyelid extending inferiorly from the lower border of the tarsus to the lid-cheek junction is referred to as the preceptal segment. In this segment, the skin and orbicularis muscles still make up the anterior lamella, but here, the orbital septum and orbital fat pads now separate the anterior and posterior lamellae. There are three distinct orbital fat pads in the lower lid, all deep to the septum. These are the lateral, central, and nasal fat pads. Deep to the septum and fat pads in the preceptal segment is the posterior lamella, which from superficial to deep consists of the capsulopalpebral fascia, the inferior tarsal muscle, and the conjunctiva. As a point of clarification, you'll commonly hear the capsulopalpebral fascia and inferior tarsal muscle referred to collectively as the lower lid retractors. Another pertinent anatomic structure to be aware of for lower lid blepharoplasty is the orbicularis retaining ligament. The orbicularis retaining ligament is an osteocutaneous ligament at the lid-cheek junction that anchors the overlying orbicularis muscle and dermis to the periosteum of the orbital rim. This ligament, along with volume changes in the face, is responsible for creating the orbitomalar sulcus, which often becomes more accentuated as we age. Another fat compartment that contributes to these changes lies deep to the orbital portion of the orbicularis oculi muscle and is referred to as the suborbicularis oculi fat, or SUF. We'll talk next about evaluation and management of the lower lid blepharoplasty patient. Your medical history should evaluate for comorbidities including thyroid eye disease, diabetes, hypertension, bleeding disorders, and use of blood thinners. You should take a thorough ophthalmologic history including visual disturbances, dry eyes, or prior eye or periorbital surgeries. LASIK within the prior six months is generally a contraindication to blepharoplasty as this temporarily diminishes the blink reflex. On physical exam, you should document baseline visual acuity as well as ocular motility. Focus exam of the lower lid should assess for excess skin, fat herniation, and the presence of an orbitomalar sulcus at the lid cheek junction. If a sulcus is present medial to the mid-pupillary line, we refer to this as a tear trough or a nasojugal groove. If present lateral to the mid-pupillary line, we call it a palpebromalar groove. A bulge caudal to the palpebromalar groove can sometimes also be seen on exam, and this is referred to as either a malar mound or festoon. Your exam should also include an assessment of eyelid laxity. Laxity can be assessed by performing a snapback test and by distracting the lid manually with a pinch test. The ability to distract the lid greater than 6 millimeters indicates significant laxity. Another component of the exam is vector analysis, which relates the position of the globe to the malar eminence. If the maximal projection of the globe is anterior to that of the malar eminence, this is described as negative vector and places the patient at increased risk for lid malposition postoperatively. Your exam should similarly assess canthal tilt. If the medial canthus lies superiorly to the lateral canthus, 
This is described as negative canthal tilt and is an additional risk factor for postoperative lid malposition. There are numerous published techniques for performing lower lid blepharoplasty. However, the goals of surgery include smoothing the lid cheek junction, filling the tear trough deformity, and reducing the appearance of bulging fat in the lower lid. Transcutaneous and transconjunctival approaches have been described. Most techniques involve minimal if any skin resection and a greater focus on repositioning and or augmenting the orbital fat pads. This also often involves release of the orbicularis retaining ligament. Canthopexy or canthoplasty may be incorporated to address lower lid laxity. Postoperative care includes cool compresses to reduce swelling and bruising, as well as lubricating drops for dry eye prevention. We'll talk lastly about complications. As with most periorbital surgeries, an early emergent complication of lower blepharoplasty is retrobulbar hematoma, which can lead to vision loss if untreated. As a result, this requires emergent decompression, and this is most commonly achieved with lateral canthotomy and cantholysis. Conjunctival edema, known as chemosis, is more common in lower lid blepharoplasty. For mild cases, this may be treated with lubricant drops and topical anti-inflammatories. In more severe cases, the use of adjuncts like tarsorophy sutures and patching have been described. A final important complication of lower lid blepharoplasty is lid malposition. Lower lid malposition is primarily avoided by performing the appropriate lid tightening procedure intraoperatively, but can also be a product of scarring. Additional complications include, but are not limited to, corneal abrasions, dry eye, and infection. And that brings our discussion on lower lid blepharoplasty to a close. Hope everyone's continuing to enjoy the podcast. Feel free to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. As usual, if you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback, you can reach me at jakemarksmd at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at jakemarksmd. Thanks for listening. See you next time.